The Quiet Carriage, a show dedicated to books and their authors on Main FM 94.9 with your host, Paul J. Laverty. Hello, listeners. You are tuned to 94.9 Main FM and welcome to another edition of The Quiet Carriage with me, your host, Paul J. Laverty. Later, we have something really special. Castlemaine-based author Carmel Bird will be in the studio reading an extract from her new novel, Field of Poppies. First up, Di Morrissey, the biggest-selling female author in Australia of all time, has taken time out to speak to us about her latest novel, set in Bali, called The Last Paradise. Now, a little about the novel. Grace has the perfect life, a job she loves, a beautiful daughter, and a rich, successful husband. But one night, when their world falls apart in a shocking disaster, Grace suddenly sees what she couldn't admit. Her marriage and her husband are a fraud. With the life she knew in tatters, she takes on an assignment, promoting the the launch of a unique luxury hotel, hidden in a stunning, untouched oasis in the heart of tourist-crazed Bali. Here, in this last paradise, Grace gathers the strength to take charge of her world, and, inspired by a woman's story from long ago, she discovers a path to a future she'd never dared to imagine. And that's a little bit there about the novel, and now a little bit about the author herself, Di Morrissey. Since the publication of her debut novel, The Heart of Dreaming, in 1991, Di Morrissey has captivated and delighted readers around Australia and the world. With sales, with Australian sales of over 3 million copies, she is one of the most successful and prolific authors Australia has ever produced. She trained as a journalist, working in newspapers, magazines, television, film, theatre and advertising around the world. Her fascination with different countries, their landscape, their cultural, political and environmental issues has been the catalyst for her novels, which are all inspired by a particular landscape. Di is a tireless and passionate advocate and activist for many causes. She is an avid avid supporter of Greenpeace, speaking out on issues of national and international importance. She established the Golden Land Education Foundation in Myanmar and is an ambassador for Australia's Royal Institute of Deaf and Blind Children. And here she is. Di Morrissey, thank you so much for coming on The Quiet Carriage. And, um, oh, my pleasure. <laughs> and sparing some of your time. I know you're very busy. This is your, am I right in saying this is your 27th novel in 28 years? That's right. <laughs> wow. And also you do so much charity work. Um, I understand uh, you do a monthly newspaper as well. And you've got grandchildren as well. Um, yes, yes, that's, uh, that, that's enough. <laughs> it's a very busy life, yeah. Congratulations on The Last Paradise. Thank it's you. a wonderful novel. Oh, great. And it's also, I understand it's your first novel set outside of Australia. No, um, not, the, not the first one. Okay. Um, but, uh, um, you know, Bali holds a special place in mm-hmm. my, uh, you know, my heart. Mm-hmm. And it's still set in, you know, I mean, essentially my books are set in Australia, but they, if they go outside, it's to a, it's to a country that has a, a relationship with Australia that so that our readers are, you know, have some awareness and interest. Yes, right. And what, what appeals to you about Bali? 
Oh, well, essentially, the, the uh, kind of the backstory is the amazing story, true story of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of a woman who was actually uh, came from the Isle of Man and she went to Hollywood in the 1930s and saw a little black and white movie about paradise, mm -hmm. which turned out to be Bali. And she went there and then the war came and she became the heroine of Bali. And she settled in, Aust in Australia and died in obscurity in the mm -hmm. 1990s and her autobiography I'm trying to turn into a into a into a movie, um, right. and and yes, she Katut Tantri is an extraordinary character, mm -hmm. and I've been to Bali uh, many times, and my um, former husband was there in the Peace Corps for the Americans, and I had right. my honeymoon there. So uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I go to old Bali. I try to keep away from the tourist areas, which are very popular, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's um. It's such an extraordinary story, the Keto Tantri one. I actually didn't believe it. I had to Google it to see if it was true or not. Was that, did you find that along the way as you researched this story for Bali? Well, to to back up, I mean, uh, the the stuff about Katut and the film and all of that is actually true. That's sort of mm -hmm. you know written from from my point of view. In that, uh, um, when I worked on television on Good Morning Australia mm -hmm. back in the nineteen eighties on Channel Ten, um, the uh, famous couple of uh, producers brothers had wanted to make a, a movie of her life, and right. they brought her to to Sydney uh, and. You know, they were announcing they were going to make the film of, of, of her life. But like, as I explained in the book, for years, since the book was, her autobiography was published in 1960, producers all over the world, the man mm -hmm. that made Casablanca, everyone wanted to make the movie. Right. And she would never, ever give away the rights. So it sunk into obscurity. She lived, she lived off producers courtships you know putting her up in a hotel and right. traveling and all of that and, and but she would never give away the rights um and so it came to pass and um i don't know bali uh, you know i had gone to bali with my daughter and came back and i suddenly thought i wonder whatever happened mm -hmm. to katur tantri in the and the film um and the rights had completely disappeared so i spent six months hunting down the uh the rights to her autobiography which i now have so I'm right. hoping it will eventually turn into to a movie. Yeah, that's and so that's a kind of the backstory of one of the characters in my uh, contemporary novel. Right, and will will you write the screenplay or produce? No, it? no, no. I'm a lousy screen. I can't write screenplays. <laughs> right. I waffle on too much. I'm a big novel writer. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I really did enjoy that that story within a story during the novel. I really did. Um, oh, good. I understand you've got quite a strict writing regime, like you write for, what is it, seven months a year and you research for a month as well? Did yes, I always go to the place that mm -hmm. I'm writing about because they're really inspired by a place and mm -hmm. landscape, particularly, you know, Australian landscapes. So yes, I spend a month researching and then I've got sort of six to seven months chained to my desk. So, right. so that, <laughs> that's that... the only way I can do a book a year. <laughs> so that one month of research, what does it entail? Do you, do you have a plan beforehand before you go there or do you just see what see what happens uh, I'm generally I've learned to trust my instincts I'm generally something happens mm -hmm. um, uh, you know like out of the blue suddenly remembering Katut Tantri and wondering whatever happened mm -hmm. uh, or you know I'm led to someone or so, there's generally something that triggers a place and I think oh 
okay, that must be where I'm supposed to go and do the next book. So I just go there. See, I was a journalist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you wander, once a journalist, always a journalist. You wander around and you talk to people and all of that. And, and, uh, um, you know, you soak up the, the, color and the atmosphere and talk to the locals and find out what the local issues are mm -hmm. and you know and that then when I come back I I don't think I could really write about a place unless I've been there so you know that's uh so there's a lot of there's still a lot of journalism in me right right and did you have the bones of the story before you went to Bali Oh no, I have no idea wow. what, when I start, what's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> uh, um, but I mean, I've, I've got a, obviously a lot of, absorbed a lot of information and, um, and each chapter, I finish a chapter and I go, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. Brilliant. <laughs> <So> anyway, <laughs> I found that if I try to, it makes my publisher in the early days very nervous, but if I try to work out a synopsis mm -hmm. and, and, and a plot, um, I feel very constricted. Right. So I, I'm, you know, I'm prepared to kind of fly by the seat of my pants and just see what happens and you know thank goodness 20 i mean it, this is 27 books but i'm still no more confident starting 28 wow. than i was with number one <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you, you've got some really strong characters in the novel um grace the heroine lawrence her husband horrible horrible man um yes <laughs> where, where do you find these characters well, sadly, I've become aware through, you know, friends, daughters and, and just reading now the women's magazines and mm -hmm. press, the narcissistic personality disorder seems to be extremely pre prevalent or else we're just recognizing dominating men mm -hmm. who uh, it's a it's a particular syndrome um, and it's more common than we know. Because when I said to my editor, oh, you know, the there's a young woman in her 30s and she leaves the the marriage but you know she's educated she had a good job mm -hmm. done very well but uh, of course she doesn't have any money she doesn't have the yeah. combination to the family state hmm. and my editor went oh that's ridiculous how could an educated you know a smart woman mm. be find herself in that position and i said just walk around and ask the women sleeping in their cars how they got there um you know and it is sadly uh, a, a particular you know issue of of uh, and it's hard to extricate yourself from a marriage like that so yes yeah, so so sadly lawrence is probably quite true to life
was Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds there with Dead in the Water. And now I will turn to my chat with the author, Di Morrissey. You've sold over 3 million books in Australia alone. You have a massive loyal readership both here and overseas. How much pressure does that put on you when you sit down to write? Or does it put any pressure on you at all? Um, I look, I try not to think of that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I put enough pressure on myself. It's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to wake up one morning and find I can't write the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but 
I mean, it's like when I did television, uh, which was live television, fly by the seat of your pants television mm -hmm. in the, you know, those early days at Channel 10. Um, it, you know, you, it's terrible when you think, look into the camera because you're talking to hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> and then a, a very wise old cameraman said to me, just look at that red light and just think that's one person. You're only just talking to one person. Right. And that was, that was the clue. And for me, readers my book goes into the hands of one other person one by one and it's a relationship between the reader and me so it, it's just it's a very personal relationship so I only feel I'm really writing I mean I sort of write for myself but I hope one other person might like it <laughs> that makes sense so, <laughs> mm. yeah could you talk us a little bit about your writing and editing process uh, well, the writing, uh, I, I start at the beginning and follow my nose, and I mm -hmm. you know, it can be two chapters from the end and not know how it's going going to end. Um, but because I do a book a year, I'm very fortunate in that I have a full-time editor from chapter right. one, which is unusual, because normally an author sort of does a draft of their whole book and then gives it mm -hmm. to their their editor who says oh gosh if you'd only done so and so in chapter three <laughs> and then you have to go back and start all over yep. again so i i finish chapter one i give it to to my editor she starts editing that as i start chapter two then i get her notes back on chapter one and so we go you know it's being edited as i go along right. so i don't stray off the track or right. and it gets redrafted maybe three or four times in that process so um there is an awful lot of work that goes it goes into it but the time frame is shortened because of that ongoing editing process which means i can bring out a book you know a year yep i understand and how does an average day pan out for you is there an average uh, day <laughs> uh uh, yeah, well, yes. When I'm in my, you know, my routine, I live in the lovely Manning Valley of Mid Coast New South Wales, my country heritage village. I overlook the river. I've got um, two acres with horses and oh. and cattle around me, so it's very bucolic and, and peaceful. Um, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm an early riser after getting up at three a.m. to go to work at breakfast television. So five thirty-six, you know, breakfast, clean the kitchen, put washing on, walk dog go to desk and then I start so I'm an early morning person and yeah. I knock off at six o'clock wow. uh, <laughs> so that's that's my working day and I've got a wonderful um, partner in uh, in in Boris who mm -hmm. you know he does the boring stuff like goes to the supermarket and the markets and post office and things like that right right and and the weekends do you take the weekends off no no because I mean every day is a weekend here yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> You, you tra you've travelled a lot, and I know you've worked a lot of years as a journalist, and you became yeah. a novelist relatively late. How important was this for you to have lived a life before you essentially sat down to write about life? Oh, well, probably, in retrospect, very sensible and valuable. That's not to say that... that you know, young, younger, you know, writers don't turn out magnificent books early. Mm -hmm. um, but to sustain 27 books, you've got to have a depth of life and knowledge, I, I suspect, to to draw on. I mean, I wanted to write novels from age seven. I was 
my hmm. clear and determined part. But you don't leave school and become a novelist. And um, so journalism was probably the best thing I could have done. Yep. Taught me to research, taught me not to be pressurist, it taught me to meet deadlines, taught, you know, all of those things yep. which are you know, not try to impress people with big words, you know, keep it clear, yep. keep get their interest early or they turn the newspaper page. So so that was all very valuable. And then having a life life experience, the things that happen to you in the course of your life gives you an understanding of people and emotions and, you know, vicissitudes of, of life. So I suppose they're all things that, that I unconsciously draw on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've told a lot of stories and presumably you've, you've done very well out of the business. What, what still motivates you? What, why keep up this prodigious work rate? Yes, I often ask myself, <laughs> but um, well, I don't know what else I'd do with myself. Right. I mean, I think I would, I mean, my kids have grown up with whenever we go to a place on holidays, I sit there and go, oh, I could set a book here. Yeah. Uh, like I see the world through the eyes of where is the story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I mean, I've still got bills to pay. The, this newspaper I'm running is, you know, costing me money. Right. Um, but it's meeting such a need that, um, and, and I think it's doing such a public service that, that I, I can't bear to give it up. So, you know... I had, yeah, I pay the bills, I suppose. Right. Um, and, and I guess I don't know what else I would do with myself. <laughs> yeah. Is there, what, what is left for you to achieve? Do you still, do you still have goals? Oh yes, I want to get all my movies up and mm-hmm. television series and, and write a, some great big deathless, deathless tome to show everybody I can write serious stuff, mm-hmm. which no one will read. Um, but I don't know. Um, yeah, um, I love telling stories to my kids and grandchildren, and encouraging, you know, reading. And it's it's interesting how um, you know how important reading is, and access to the right to know, to mm-hmm. to information, and where journalism is today. And that books will never die. Books are still there. People still like a book, and I'm I love to see the joy of my life is watching my grandkids absorbed in a proper book away from screens and computers and stuff and so that you know I think that's the greatest legacy that you can 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 leave is 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 giving someone the love of books and reading I agree yeah as a as a as a writer as an author what is the attraction of film what does that hold for you Oh, reaching a bigger bigger audience. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in film and television. See, my mother was a film director. Boris is a cinematographer. Oh, right. mm-hmm. uh, and I see the world very visually. Mm-hmm. So I think my books are very, um, you know, visual. So to me, uh, you know, I, I see what I'm writing. So, um, you know, so there's, there's, I can recreate a landscape with words, but I see them in my head first. I mean, I love photography and I, um, and I just think you know and you know cinema is just a a, you know an intriguing medium and so um yeah i just uh Mm -hmm. you know that's the 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 appeal i suppose Mm -hmm. wonderful and what's the next stop after bali do you know where i'm going next i'd love to know victoria really have you you written in, in victoria before about Victoria? Oh, I have. I've yeah. never set a book in Victoria. We've right. passed through. I've had characters. So is it I, Castlemaine? I've never, the, I've never done the Great Ocean Road. Oh, right. So 
um, you know, all of these, you know, uh, exotic places. I've been all around mm-hmm. the world and, and outback Australia. But um, and I and I've got great friends and I love parts mm-hmm. of Victoria. But I've never done the Great Ocean Road. And, and you know, I just know there's a little town somewhere in Victoria that will turn up next year. Mm, there's a lot of history down that way as well. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, uh, yes, I'm just going to, you know, uh, we'll jump in the in in the car and cruise around. So I might run into some of your listeners. Sounds great. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Di Marcy, it's been an absolute honour to have you on the Quiet Carriage. Best of luck. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Best all. of luck with the with the last Paradise. Available now through Pan Macmillan. Can I put you on the spot here and ask you if you'd like a song song selection? Oh well, on the spot. I suppose I should think of something exotic and 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 Balinese. But you know, there's some of the music that I sometimes put on that I like to write to are things like the the theme from the movie Out of Africa. Okay, we'll play that for you now. Di Morrissey. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you, Paul.
Lifehouse are designers of simple, serene buildings. We craft spaces and forms that are sympathetic to the environment in which we live and to the needs of our clients, that connect with the eye, mind and soul. Our firm of designers focus on the best energy-efficient outcomes, producing beautiful, unique buildings. Contact us to discuss your project. You can find us at lifehousedesign.com.au. Lifehouse Design, creating smaller footprints, award-winning passive solar design and a proud supporter of Main FM. No agenda. Music, interviews, mostly music. Saturdays, noon until 2pm on 94.9 Main FM. Make it your soundtrack for Saturday. At Print Together, eco-friendly printing is easy as we only use recycled paper and eco-friendly inks and toners. It's really simple. One, have a look at our products and prices. Mm. Two, upload your artwork. Three, pop in the delivery details. Four, Bob's your uncle. Why not come in and we'll knock you up a sample? Print Together live in Melbourne and at the Melling Castle Main, so check us out. Printtogether.com.au Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Print Together at Print Together. Print Together is a proud sponsor of Main FM. Sure as fire will burn There's one thing you will learn Is things you have cherished Are Is when opportunity meets with preparation, and the same is true for every generation. Little Oh, oh, oh. 
his song little man and now for something different on the quiet carriage we have a very special guest here in the studio uh carmel bird author extraordinaire how are you hello paul fine how are you very well thanks thank you so much for for coming in today oh, be- it's a great pleasure I, i'm loving being on the quiet carriage and oh, you were yes. telling me before that you actually used to run a book show on Main FM. Oh, I had it for a few weeks. I had a book show on Main FM, but let's let's draw a veil over that. Okay, okay. It's a, it's a new era. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. We're we're in the the new new age. Okay, that's good. And I believe you've got a, a new book. Yes, I have that. a new novel coming out at the first of November, mm-hmm. and the, the title of the novel is Field of Poppies. It's set in the present day in a goldfields town in. The state of Victoria. Mm-hmm. You can Definitely work. not Castlemaine. Definitely okay, not Castlemaine. It's a town called Muckleton, not right. be c- to be confused with, what's the one around here called? Uh, Muckleford. Muckleford. Yeah, yep. Yes, yes. Yep. But I love that muckle thing, so I couldn't resist it. Excellent. So I invented a town near Ballarat called <laughs> Muckleton. And the piece that I'm going to read from it today uh, is something that takes place after, or during and after a funeral at Malden. Brilliant. Okay. Okay, here we go. So, at the church in Malden, there's a woman rector in sombre flowing robes, black and purple and smoky silver. People give several respectful and tearful orations. Doug smoked all his life, grew the best pumpkins in the district, was overly fond of Mars bars, followed Carlton, followed the horses, and finished every night with a drambuie. Banks of flowers, old folk with walking sticks, young couples with children, a dog. No, three dogs. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Most of the people went out to the cemetery. Tonto went. A slow procession of sorrowful vehicles following the eerie silver hearse, which was stuffed with flowers all the colours of over the rainbow and then some. The open grave awaited surrounded by tired old green carpet, 
The prayers were brief, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Clods of clay and single blooms, red, white on long stems, fell ritually onto the coffin as, they lay exp- as it lay exposed in the earth. Afterwards, back at the parish hall, there were sandwiches and cakes on pale yellow plates with fancy white paper doilies, the tinkle of teaspoons, the chitter of chatter, the sudden barking of the dogs, tears and laughter, small china vases of delicate flowers and ferns all down the tables in a straight line. Somebody played the mouth organ. A child fell out of a tree and had to be taken to hospital. Ladies of the parish... Polished with fuchsia lipstick, wearing floral aprons, pouring tea from large aluminium teapots. Milk, two sugars. The teaspoons are on the other table. Melanie seems to have lost her handbag, silver with bluebirds. It's over there, under the chair. No grog. Scones with blackberry jam. Incredibly delicious scones, light as air, gold as honey and white as snow. Lemmingtons, Anzacs, ginger snaps, ginger sponge, dishes of fantails, which were Doug's favourites after the dreaded Mars bars. It was the past resurrected into a new life within the old timber walls of the parish hall, all in honour of Doug, one God, world without end. After all that, Tonto, feeling a bit overfed on cake and biscuits, went down to the pub. Look, it was called the kangaroo. I can't help that. It just was. And with his other uncles and his cousins, he had a beer, just one friendly beer at the kangaroo. And then he got back into the black Santa Fe and drove off into the dying light. Twilight. He wasn't even over the limit. An odd thing was that he was driving quite carefully and slowly when a police car, siren wailing, lights flashing, pulled him over for being too slow. That's right, too slow. Inconveniently under the speed limit, too slow. A menace to other motorists and road users. A giant raging road user in the form of a great gleaming Mack truck decorated with lights like a fairground loomed up monstrously out of the dusk, travelling just over the speed limit, disturbed the air and was gone. The muscular policewoman who fronted up to Tonto's window said, So what do you think you're doing? Uh, uh, keeping under the speed limit, yes. You're supposed to do 80 around here. Any reason why you were going so slow? Any reason for that? Tonto shook his head. She breathalyzed him and sure enough, he was under that limit too. Tonto sensed the irritation in her as she tossed the clear plastic tube into a white and yellow plastic box that reminded him of a duck. He began to laugh. She stared at him, hostile, her eyes dull brown pebbles in the gloom, her mouth a grim line like the pursed lips of a poisonous reptile. All the sugar in the cakes, the biscuits, the glass of beer had gone to Tonto's head. He laughed. What's so funny? Nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing's funny. Silence. He wriggled in his seat, peering up at the woman, who continued to stare him down. Were they trained to do that, or did it just come naturally? You need to follow the speed limit on this road. You need to do 80. You're holding us up. We're wasting our time. Oh, sorry. It was then she pushed her face into his open window and shouted, We're on our way to shoot a roo! He shrank back, and what he heard her say was, We're on our way to shoot at you! His head jerked back in shock, and the policewoman added, It's injured. The roo's seriously injured. We have to shoot it. On your way. Get on your way. 
She returned in a kind of swift anger, got into the squad car and took off with a roar, speeding into the deepening twilight. Speed was their thing. Twilight. They were hastening on their way to shoot a roo. To shoot a you. Tonto sat there by the side of the road, shaken and bewildered, for a long, quiet five minutes. He thought of turning round to return to the pub, where he knew the others would still be. He couldn't fancy driving to Melbourne. He sent his girlfriend a text. Might stay over in Castle, Maine. He attached a burst of dark red love hearts that would float in great numbers across Saffron's screen. She sent back an OK with a burst of pink flowers. Then she played back the red hearts several times. Tonto turned the car around and headed for Castle, Maine, taking care to reach the speed limit of 80. Yes, yes, he was doing this texting as he drove. On a hill, on a bend, between tall, mysterious forests on either side, the kangaroo came bounding out onto the tarmac just as a rider on a Harley FXSTB night train was roaring up in the opposite direction heading for Malden. In one of those fatal split-second twilight seconds, the three of them, Tonto, Ryder, Rue, merged with a great splintering blast. Perfect CGI. And soon they were all dead, lying at odd angles in a sizzling, steaming mess. Acute haemorrhage leading to hypovolemic shock, terrifying, monstrous, otherworldly, blood, fuel, water, glass, metal, guts, brains, bone, teeth. The extra-high ape hangers of the Harley lying like the antennae of a prehistoric insect. Two smashed-up phones glittering beside each other in the weeds in the gutter next to the road. A Samsung and an iPhone. The rider's shiny black Bellstaff endurance boots. One paisley cravat, pathetic, bloody. Everything still, except for some intermittent twitching and convulsing in the body of the kangaroo. Jesus! The plumber driving his silvery Isuzu D-Max ute on his way home to Malden whispered, <gasps> Jesus! and pulled over. The scene of the accident blocked the road. The plumber called emergency. It seemed to him as the darkness fell and traffic piled up in both directions that time had slowed down. Attempting to direct traffic, he waited for the police, the ambulances, the tow trucks. Two other motorists assisted him as he stopped traffic until it became clear to the drivers, coming and going, that they would have to stop anyhow. Some kind of Armageddon was going on at the bend in the road. There was no way around this crash site, and yes, time had slowed down. One of the officers held a pistol to the head of the rue, a mercy shot, thud, this was at least the second kangaroo to be finally dispatched that night by a trusty, efficient member of the police force. "'You'll be all right, mate?' said the police officer to the plumber. "'I'll be okay.' The officer recorded the plumber's details, name, address, phone number, driver's licence, number plate, next of kin, breathalyzed him. "'Take it easy, mate. Yeah, night, night, night.' The traffic gradually cleared Finally, the plumber drove home to his wife and children, his next of kin, in Malden, quite slowly, 
Night had fallen. The dark forest held its breath. Wow. Carmel, thank you so much for coming in and reading to us. I would so much like to interview you, but you're quite sought after on this uh, station. Is and right? I... <laughs> <laughs> And you've, you've been claimed, I think, <laughs> by another show. Well, it was a great pleasure to be able to, to read that to you today, Paul, in the quiet carriage. Yes. But thank you very much. And I believe you've got a... The book is out now. It will be out at the beginning of November. Beginning of November? Yes. Field of Poppies. Yes. And I believe you're having a launch for it. Yes, there on, will be what I'm calling a poppy party in the park mm-hmm. on the 24th of November, mm-hmm. that is, on the Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And people are most welcome to come to the, what's it called, the the tea room, mm-hmm. the tea room mm-hmm. in the botanical gardens. Yep. I yes, have never been. It. I didn't know it had tea rooms, so I'm quite yes. Well, to it. it's an ancient building mm-hmm. that once upon a time I guess was a tea room, but now it's a hall which people from the community can hire for mm-hmm. whenever, whatever you know, Fantastic. parties. Looking forward parties, to it, and that's the twenty fourth. 24th of November, Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock, Botanical Gardens, Tea Room. Wonderful. Mm, and there will be poppies in flower in the park, you see. That's why I've chosen to right. do it there. I see. Then. Yes, I mm. see. Makes sense. Got so. it? Mm. <laughs> Carmel, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. We hope to see you in again The Quiet Carriage. Are you following me? Do you like me? Do you love me? Well, why don't you do all three on our Facebook page at Main FM and our Instagram page at 94.9 Main FM. And you can tell me what you really think of me and maybe even share me with your friends. 94.9 Main FM. Share the love. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Moving can be stressful, but at Stressless Moves, we move your belongings like they're our own and can professionally pack and unpack your cartons. Stressless Moves offers door-to-door service locally or interstate. We do a weekly run to Melbourne with single items or a whole truckload. Leave the stress of moving to us. Call Jessica or Donna on 0427 046 001 for an obligation-free quote on your next move. Stresslessmoves.com.au, a proud sponsor of Main FM.
That was Melbourne band Swim Team with Workout Right from their album from this year, Home Time. And that is all we have time for, unfortunately, on The Quiet Carriage. A big thank you to my guests, Di Morrissey. Uh, We chatted about her novel, Last Paradise, which is out now through Pan Macmillan. And also a big thank you to Carmel Bird as we chatted to her, or we held an excerpt from her novel, Field of Poppies, which is out now via Transit Lounge, and do come down to our launch at the Botanic Gardens here in Castlemaine from Sunday 2pm, November 24. Next week, we'll have another reading from Carmel, this time a short story, and I'll also be having a chat with West Australian author David Wish Wilson about his new novel, True West. I'll leave you now with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, with their track, Monin. Thank you for joining me on The Quiet Carriage. Keep reading. Mm-hmm.